darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media and the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment, let's not miss our moment. And now, The Hamilton Corner. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio. I'm your host, Abraham Hamilton III, joined by the corner contingent right across from me, my man, 100 Grand, Mr. Bobby Rosas in the building and in the screening room. Producer extraordinaire, often imitated but never duplicated, the real J. Mack, Mr. Jeff McIntosh. Some respect on his government name today. <laughs> and we're ready to rock and roll with today's edition of the program. Uh, a lot is happening in the country. I mentioned yesterday about the, the people in Mississippi who are reeling from the fallout from the devastating tornadic activity uh, last week and into the weekend and uh, the tragedy in Nashville. Uh, man, I, I have a very, very heavy heart uh, for our nation, and uh, I'm grateful uh, to be fasting and praying with all of you. Uh, we are in the home stretch of that time. We'll conclude this time of fasting as March expires. But our greatest and most desperate need in our nation, man, is repentance. We need an outpouring of the Lord's Spirit in our country. Uh, talking about uh, this murderer in Nashville. Uh, You don't very often have people who want to deal with the reality that we have a nation that's depraved in the heart in increasing measure, rapidly increasing measure. And repentance is what we need. Repentance is what we need. My mind is going 100 miles a minute right now. At this moment, many of you are making that transition from your part-time jobs where you generate an income to your full-time jobs where you cultivate an outcome. As you make that transition, I want to remind you that what goes on in your house is far more important than what goes on in the White House. It's far more important because no matter what transpires outside of the ambit of your control, first and foremost, God is sovereign and he is in control. Secondarily, As the scripture says, what is foremost required of a servant? That the servant be found faithful. The things that are in your control is the quality of your responsiveness to the spirit of God and your faithfulness in obeying what he requires of you and what he requires of me. (sighs) Have you ever had a scenario where... uh, you're endeavoring to either share the gospel or offer a uh, constructive criticism, especially uh, spiritual constructive criticism. Um, one of the things I, I do often when I talk to men who are believers is I, I ask them about their personal devotional lives and about 
um, their intentional efforts to shepherd their family spiritually. This is a conversation that we have. And, uh, and you get a response. I have gotten responses from time to time from people who say, well, you know, you know, I'm still a work in progress. Just pray for me, brother. Just pray for me. You know, sometimes people genuinely mean that when they say pray for me. Other times, that just pray for me is offered as a way to try to respectfully conclude the conversation without having any further uh, correctives offered in the midst of it. As I read the scriptures we're going to discuss today, I thought about that scenario. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 17 through 25. Later in the program, I don't know how it all is going to unfold, but I plan to discuss more about the, the responses of the officers in this murder in Nashville. And if you have not seen the body cam footage of the two officers, Officer Michael Colazzo and Officer, I have the other name here, Rex Engelbrecht. Rex Engelbrecht. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Pastor Carl. Pray for me. Meaning, leave me alone. That's right. Leave me alone. This scripture came to mind in light of that circumstance. Contextually, what's happening here, and we discussed this, I believe it was last week, how Samuel's, the wickedness of his sons, contributed to the nation of Israel's demand for a king to judge them like the other nations. That's a part of the story, but not the entirety of the story. And the fact of Samuel's son's wickedness does not excuse the people of Israel from their refusal to have their confidence in the Lord. And the Lord viewed that as sinful because it was. You know, sometimes we try to excuse lack of trust in God as if, well, you know, <laughs> if you claim to know him, yet you still don't trust him. That's not just an unfortunate event. For those who profess to know him, that's, un that, 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 that's sinful. All right. Well, in this particular text that we're going to read, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 17 through 25, the gravity of the rebellious nature of their demand for a king in the people of Israel, it finally came to a head in their hearts. They realized, oh, man, how grievous it was for them to do that. So I'm going to pick up. Verse 17, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 17, it says this. And this is Samuel speaking at this time in this portion of Scripture that's recorded here. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I, Samuel saying this, I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you'll know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves, a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Then all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, by asking for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil. 
Yet do not yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. Because they are, yeah, because they are futile. Verse 22, for the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you will do wickedly, but if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Now I want you to notice something. I'm going to just get right to it. Samuel makes the observation that he recognizes that even in light of the exceeding sinfulness of the people of Israel, he recognizes that it would be sinful for him as God's representative, as God's prophet, as God's ambassador, for him not to pray for the people of Israel. Wanted you to notice the latter part. He said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. Verse 23, he adds, though, but I will instruct you in the good and right way as well. My point in raising this, brothers and sisters, is as Christ followers, <laughs> yes, we are committed to praying. There's, there are instructions in Scripture. There are commands in Scripture. There are specific commands in Scripture for men to pray specifically. But don't allow <laughs> unbelievers or rebellious people who are professing to be believers, don't allow them to fold what you are required by the Lord to do. You see, and we've talked about this before. The favorite scripture of rebels is judge not. Ain't you true Christian not supposed to judge? That's one of the most misquoted yet often quoted verses take, taken, ripped out of its context and really used either as a sword or a shield to protect the rebel from the conviction of the spirit of God. See, the notion that people say preach the gospel if necessary, use words, that's, that, that, that is a fallacious statement on, in and of itself. God is the giver of language. <laughs> he has commanded the articulation of the gospel to be made with words. What should be stated is preach the gospel and live the gospel. <laughs> because the gospel cannot be proclaimed solely by life's demonstration. The life's demonstration should accompany the verbal proclamation of the gospel. The Lord himself says he loves those whom he corrects. In the context of parenting, the scripture says, if you do not correct or chasten or discipline your child, it's evidence that you do not love them. Yes, we're going to pray. As Samuel said, I'm not going to sin against the Lord by not praying, but I'm going to instruct you in the good and right way too. I'm going to verbalize what needs to happen. Man, in this scenario, I mentioned some of this yesterday. Paying attention to the story out of Nashville. Seeming like all of these legacy media outlets working overtime to conceal 
from the American people the reality that this murderer was confused about her own identity. <laughs> this murderer. And then it seemed almost reluctantly where the media being unable to escape the reality, yes, yes, the, the murderer is a, is, is a woman. First he said it was a teenage girl. Then they said, well, no, it's a woman, 28-year-old woman. Uh, she, yes, she identifies herself to live as a man. And then as quickly as they say that, they run and say, oh, but, but there was no evidence of mental, mental health issues. And I'm saying, think about this. Guys, think about where we are as a society. Well, you have a person who is a woman who is telling the world, I am a man. And yet society, many in society, rush to say, but there's no evidence of mental health issues. Who would do that in the face of a tragedy? It's people that are committed to deviancy idolatry. And even in the face of tragedy, even now, six innocent people dead, families shattered. You have Goebbels Inc. outlets rushing to say, oh, we're, we're sorry for misgendering. The dead person? The murderer? What about the victims? What about the victims' families? We used to be a society we can say, oh, if you have a man who's telling the world he's a woman, that is evidence of mental instability at a minimum. And then we find out the murderer's mother says, yeah, the child struggled. My child struggled with mental health issues. Really? Really? What is happening here because of the commitment, this, this deviancy idolatry, you have even in the face of tragedy. This is how depraved many in our society have become. Even in the face of tragedy, we need to protect the narrative because if we actually allow people to ask questions well wait a minute if this woman is identifying herself as a man is she taking all of these crazy drugs that y'all are telling us is safe what what is happening in her life they are committed more than <laughs> being able to rightly navigate the tragedy to try to protect this agenda to say no 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 there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with this trans insanity there's nothing wrong with that that has nothing at all to do with the murder is that more important yes we'll pray but we're going to speak the truth too shining light into the darkness this is the hamilton corner on american family radio welcome back to the hamilton corner abraham hamilton the third i'm going to jump right into this so between uh, the conclusion of the show last night and and now, more information, as, as we anticipated, uh, has come to the fore about this tragedy from Nashville. We now know that um, this identity-confused murderer, um, and y'all know my policy is I'm not going to say their names, um, because oftentimes it's a pursuit of fame. I don't know if that's the instance in this case, but... In an effort to remain consistent, I'm going to continue that in this matter. Uh, but we know that the gender, the identity-confused murderer had a detailed plan of attack, complete with maps, 
of the Covenant School and a written explanation as to why she did what she did. Metropolitan Nashville Police Chief John Drake said that we actually, the police officers, have a manifesto. We also know that the sex-confused, identity-confused murderer considered another target location to murder people but declined to go to that location because they had more stringent security standards, including the potentiality of armed security, but chose to go to the Covenant School where she was formerly enrolled as a child because they had lesser security. Not only that, the police have more information that they have not disclosed yet that indicates that the murderer's transgender confusion actually played a role in her targeting this school. Because of potential ideological objection to the sexual deviancy social political agenda. Now, there's a term we have for murders committed in an effort to assert and to advance a political opinion. I forgot what that. Oh, yeah. Terrorism is a term that we used to use for that. I want you to hear a little bit. From Chief Drake himself, it's just 20 seconds. And then I have a guest on the program who not only has, uh, who shares concerns in this area, but has a potential proposed solution that we want to get to. But listen to Chief Drake and his interaction with reporters in a press conference today about this matter. Clip number two. Go. Oh, I didn't hear you say that again, sir. Is there any reason to believe that how she identifies is, has any motive for targeting the school? We can give you that at a later time. There is uh, some theory to that. We're investigating all the leads, and once we know exactly, we'll let you know. So was this a targeted attack? It was. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Is there anything concerning how the shooter identifies, the murderer identifies, that contributes to why she targeted the school? Chief Drake says. There's some information that we have a theory in that regard. Now, I don't want to speculate, uh, but most likely the manifesto, the maps and other things that includes the explanation as to why the police have it. In other circumstances, there would be great amounts of interest expressed into the why. And the reason that you want to know the why is because any civil and rational society will want to do whatever is necessary to prevent these things from happening again. But you see, when you have civil, civility and rationality pitted up against the cultural idol of the moment, mum is the word. A subsequent reporter followed up, so does this mean or does this indicate that the Covenant School shooting was a targeted attack? Chief Drake says it was. 
it was. I have so much more to say on that, but I'm going to pause for a moment because I don't want to just talk about the problems. I want to turn to the solutions. My guest is a returning guest, Dr. Jameson Taylor, Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs for American Family Action. Uh, first and foremost, a brother in the faith. Um, this is the brother, you've heard him before here, who helped draft the law that led to Roe versus Wade ultimately being overturned. He would never say that himself because he's a very humble man, but I want to tell you, just so you know the gravitas of the man that we're speaking to right now. Uh, Dr. Jameson Taylor, thank you for coming back onto the Hamilton Corner this evening. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on, man. And you're on at a time where my heart is grieved um, for the state state of things in our nation. Um, when we, as a society, systematically, intentionally, and imperceptibly decided to exclude God from our civic functions, kick God out of our institutions, including the education systems, the murderous penchant directly corresponds in an increase. You can trace this back to when prayer was ex excluded from schools. Murder rates skyrocketed thereafter. You are helping to shepherd a bill through the Mississippi State Legislature that is very, very creative, but it is also something that's already happening in our country to get public school students even to be able to return to, to prayer. Would you share with the audience a little bit about the bill that you're helping the shepherd and what you're seeking to accomplish, uh, what, what is seek, sought to be accomplished through this particular legislation? Yeah, I want folks just to pay attention and to realize that there is a solution. There's a solution at your fingertips that is already being implemented around the United States. And so it's, it's prayer in school, sort of. Now, you know, as, as you mentioned, prayer in public schools was outlawed by the Supreme Court in 1962, and, and you can trace directly basically the decline of our culture since then. But... The Supreme Court has said that while you can't pray, for instance, you can't have you can't have teacher-led, you can't have administrator-led prayer on your public school campus, public school students can pray while they are at school. And even more than that, and that's what we're going to talk about, the more than, which is very important, the more than that is that kids can go to off-site Bible studies. Now, this has been in place for about 100 years in the United States. I just learned of this a couple of months ago. I didn't even know that, that this was a thing. But there are several states around the country, there are at least 12 states, but probably more than that, that have these programs already in place. Some of the programs have been in place for years and years, and kids are going to Bible studies during public school time while they are enrolled in a public school. They take one hour each week and they can go to a Bible study. You, if you look to, to New York, there are many synagogues. There are many people of the Jewish faith. They go to, uh, to Torah study during time of public school. This is something that New York has been doing for years and years. Now, the left doesn't like it, but they're not going to attack it in this case. If we look to Utah, the, the Mormon church has been doing this for years and years and years. Oftentimes, you find uh, a Mormon temple will be maybe even across the street from the public school. And kids are escorted to that building, and they can, they can engage in studies, Bible studies, uh, at, those, at those Mormon uh, temples and study centers and whatnot. But, of course, uh, Christians are the ones that need to take the lead 
in doing this. And there are many states, there are many Christian ministries around the country that are trying to do this, and they're working in some states. For instance, in Ohio, there's a very well-developed program that kids can leave their public school and go to a Bible study, a Christian Bible study, while they are enrolled. Uh, Kentucky. Kentucky has one of the best programs in the country. Kids are even able to get elective course credit for studying the Bible while they're in a public school. This is something that Mississippi needs to do, and our speaker, Philip Gunn, has really been pushing this issue. But if you're in a state that is not doing this, one, if you're in a state that's doing it, you need to support it. There are nonprofits and churches that are doing this. But if you're in a state that is not doing it, this is really the first piece of legislation that you need to get passed in your state, because this is going to be one of the key things that we can use to bring about revival in the United States. Now, one of the things that's interesting, and and some people may not be aware of, uh, this is something that the Supreme Court, as far back as 52, even prior to prayer being kicked from schools, uh, found to be constitutional, and it has remained uh, constitutional uh, throughout. Would you just speak a little bit to that for those who may be concerned about that? Yeah, that's right. So the first thing, if you start to talk about well, we need prayer in schools, people are going to say, well, you know, that's not allowed. The, the government's not going to allow that. Well, in fact, we do have a, a Supreme Court decision, the Zorak decision, which said that if there's a, a nonprofit or a church, for instance, that has partnered with the school, that kids, let's, let's think about how it would work. Basically, uh, a bus will come and it'll pick up the kids. They will go off-site from their public school. They will go to a Bible study one hour a week where they learn, uh, they learn about Jesus, but they also learn about the Ten Commandments. They learn about good moral behavior and things like that. In some states, this is called uh, prayer release time. In some states, it's called moral instruction study. You know, there's different names for it. But the idea is that kids can, can, can do this, these Bible studies while they are enrolled in public school. But it's not the school that is administering it. It's not the school that's in charge of the content. It is different nonprofits. So you can have different churches. You have people of different uh, faiths and denominations that are offering these studies. And really what it is, it's, it's what we call nowadays viewpoint diversity. And that is exactly what the left does not want. They want everyone to think the same thing. But this allows basically that kind of diversity in faith traditions. But this is what I say. If we put the gospel on an even playing field, we're going to win all day. All we need is for kids to be exposed to the gospel. Kids that have never even heard of Jesus. They don't know who Adam and Eve is. They don't know who Noah is. They can start to learn these things and learn the Ten Commandments, learn the teachings of Jesus in these off-site Bible studies that they are doing during their public school day. Mm. Now, one one of the other things—well, let me say this first. I know you were, you described what's happening in Utah. Uh, we know Mormonism is a cult. Mormonism is not Christianity. Uh, but referring to how they have used this law to— to um, to exercise religious liberty in that state. Uh, but uh, one thing that I found to be very, very in, 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 insightful uh, from you that I didn't even know, that you named some of them, but there are 30 states that currently offer uh, more than 1,000 programs like this. You know, that 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 is yeah. am- amazing uh, to hear. Yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, and so and some of these numbers are a little bit hard to track, and I think some of the numbers are old. We do know that 12 states have laws on the books 
that uh, that are doing this in a formal way and that their school systems are formally formally supporting it. And as we know, Kentucky and I think a couple other states are offering elective course credit for it. But this is something you, you should be able to do theoretically in your state, even without a law being passed, because the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court has already said that you can do this. So, for instance, the way that this started was in Indiana. You had uh, Gary, Indiana. You had a group of uh, pastors get together and think about what, you know, what do we need to do to change our schools? And uh, their thought was, we need, to, we need to have kids doing Bible study. And they figured out a way to do this. And they worked with the Jewish community in their town. And they launched this idea of moral instruction that is done during the public school day. Since then, the program has grown. So theoretically, this is something that is allowed in every state. It's just that a lot of people don't know about it, and that the people that do know about it, for instance, as you mentioned, uh, the Mormon Church, yeah, they're showing up. They're implementing these programs. They're they're gung ho for this. But Christians don't have that same zeal and that same uh, evangelical spirit in launching these programs and bringing these programs to their schools. So part of this is to show up at your school board meeting and start to ask about this. You know, you can contact AFA and we can send you information on how these programs work. We can connect you to Christian nonprofits that are working hard to implement these programs around the country and partnering together. We can bring this to your school district, even if there's not a state law that's allowing this. But the best way to do it is to pass a state law so that you get it formally recognize your school districts understand, okay, this is what we have to do. This is how we do it. And ideally, kids can even get elective course credit for going to a Bible study. Now, for those who are listening in Mississippi, because we have a bill pending in Mississippi right now, uh, what can they do to encourage this bill's passage? I know we have a tight deadline on this, right? Yeah, that's right. So we are in the final week of the legislative session in Mississippi. Uh, this has been an idea that Speaker Philip Gunn has really championed. Uh, he, had a, he had a bill to do this, which, which died uh, um, basically six weeks ago, but that's okay because he's the speaker and he can find a vehicle for this. So what people need to do is they need to contact the legislature. They need to contact uh, the speaker's office, let them know that, hey, we support this. They also need to contact the lieutenant governor's office and let lieutenant governor delbert hosen know that this is a a great idea that he should get behind as well uh look for afa action we're going to be doing an action alert on this idea uh to to get people to so you can know what phone numbers to use and who to email to email your state lawmakers but uh start talking to your pastor about this start talking to uh folks in your community about this and contact your state representative and your state senator and tell them, hey, we want the prayer release time bill passed. And again, this is not prayer in public schools. So when you talk about it, don't say, hey, I want the prayer in public schools bill passed. I think what you say is, I want the, I want the prayer release time bill passed. That's how it's, that's kind of the technical jargon for it. But what it means is kids going off-site to do a Bible study. Really quick, maybe 20 seconds. What can others do if they're listening from other states around the country Uh, Can they contact you to try to get something like this going in their states? Yeah, that's right. Contact me, Jameson Taylor at AFA.net, J-A-M-E-S-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R at AFA.net. 
I will send you the information you need to get legislation introduced in your state. But also, like I said, this is something that can start local. You can start right now talking to your local school board saying, hey, we can do this. Other states, other localities are doing this. I want to do this right now in my school district. And it, this is, you know, we can help you do that. Also, I encourage folks to check out I Voter Guide because we are getting more and more involved in getting voters information on school board races. Thank you, and this Jameson. Is an issue that candidates should be talking about. The Hamilton Quarter Podcast and One Minute Commentaries are available at AFR.net. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner. I don't always get to hear Todd's commentaries during the breaks, but I, I mean, I just have to tell you, it's not just the universities. <laughs> it's not just the universities. Um, these things are being introduced at much younger levels. You know, I, <laughs> it's just the truth. You know, you guys have heard me talk about this before, and I'll tell you, tell share this again. I, I remember I was having a conversation with a, a very prominent uh, Christian leader, and he was lamenting, and he was act, and, and was quite disturbed by the prevalence of the advancement of the sexual deviancy, social political agenda through the educational system. You know, some of people will remember, you know, former President Obama's, you know, transgender bathroom mandate and all that kind of stuff. And I just had to say, uh, and I was the only one in this conversation to say this, but I said, I said. I understand what you're saying, but do you realize that this is not a new battle? I mean, sorry, this is not a new war. This is just the latest iteration of the same battle that was waged against the Lord years ago. I said there are a lot of people that are enraged about this, but we don't have very many people enraged about an entire system of instruction that we call education that intentionally and systematically denies the knowledge of God. How can we as Christians normalize that and call that education when the Bible says fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Can there truly be an educational system, biblically speaking, that denies the knowledge of God? The only biblical answer to that is no. So then how can we be comfortable, oh Lord, comfortable, with that being the normative standard in our nation. You've heard the concept of weapons of mass destruction, one of the greatest weaponizations of mass destruction that can occur is that you take a person who is made in the image of God and did, and preclude them from coming to know him. Because what you create is a weapon of mass destruction that are capable of erecting towers of Babel and rebellion against the true and living God. We cannot be surprised when we have for generations, we refer to the 1962 case of Madeline Murray O'Hare, when, when prayer is removed from public schools, if you chart the ascendancy of violence and murder in our nation, you will see up until 1962, things were relatively mild. Post-1962, things began to skyrocket. You think that's a coincidence? If you, if you train young ones, oh, there's nothing. 
special or specific about your existence. You are just the accumulation of primordial ooze. Well, well, what is this notion of sanctity of human life? If we are not designed, then what's wrong with might makes right? We need an outpouring of the Lord's spirit in our nation, man. Our nation, by and large, has collectively lost its mind. And the only way forward is a turning to the Lord. I mentioned we're going to put in the show notes a link to the video of these officers, officers Engelbert and Colazzo from the Metropolitan the Metro Nashville Police Department. I was gripped watching that video from the officer's vest cameras. They were the exact counterbalancing opposite from the cowardice displayed in Uvalde, Texas. These men were courageous and decisive in running toward the sound of gunfire and protecting people there. The, the, the tragedy would have been far worse if it were not for these brave police officers. Uh, the two that I named are the ones who eliminated the threat from the sex-confused, identity-confused murderer. Uh, but they had a whole team of officers who were right there with them running toward the sound of gunfire. And anybody who has his penchant where they rail and rail on police officers day in and day out, and don't get me wrong, there are some terrible people who wear badges. That is the truth. But they are not indicative of the majority of police officers by any stretch of the imagination. And I strongly believe there will be police departments that will utilize this video footage as training mechanisms for how you respond in circumstances like this. If you are interested in perusing it, check it out in the show notes. And I would encourage you also to share it responsibly and respectfully with those who it would be, it would be um, Worthwhile doing so. I know as we're talking about this, man. I I have a, an urgency in my heart about this. Um, and I know not everybody's in the stage of life that I am in with, with young children still in, in my home with my wife and I under our roof. Uh, some of you, your children are older. Man, don't give up on your children. Don't give up on your children. Just as we referred to the scripture before, um, yes, continue to cry out to the Lord for them. And as the Lord gives you opportunity to instruct them in the good and right ways. Those of you who are in a stage similar to where I am, you have young children in your home, what greater priority could you have other than rearing them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? You know, if we are honest about this, we have a lot of people 
in practice, not in word, but in practice, other things are elevated to the level of priority. You know, we want them to have successful occupations. We want them, you know, to be, you know, great athletes. We want them to be popular, whatever. Is that really equally as important as them being reared in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? How much more evidence do we need to see? Do we need to be confronted with? Do we need to be made aware of to show how far spent the hour has become in our nation? And it is, it's still to this moment, and I can't believe that this actually happened, but it did, and I'm going to share it with you, that on the day of this tragedy, uh, which is emblematic of the hollowing out of the soul of people in America. Um, the current Oval Office occupant has a press conference. And he begins, he begins the press conference by cracking jokes. I'm not kidding, guys. I'm not kidding. He comes out cracking jokes. You know, and I'm not going to go through the exercise. Oh, man, if Trump, if pre former President Trump had did that, could you imagine how people would respond? We already know all of that. But this, this, this loss of life, you know, when you have the reality, wait a minute. So the evidence is starting to point to the fact that this is a specified targeted shooting specifically relating to the shooter's identification as being transgender. That's from... Metropolitan Metro Nashville Police Chief John Drake. The reporter follows up. So is this a targeted shooting? Meaning, did this shooter specifically identify this school as a place to go and to plan, to prepare, to show up with three guns, two rifles and a handgun to murder people because of ideas? Chief Drake says, yes. It is. And all of Goebbels Inc. is collectively incurious about this. They don't want you to know about that being a motivation. So you target a Christian school? Is it because of what the school's belief, what the school's beliefs? Mr. Biden shows up, starts cracking jokes about ice cream. I kid you not. Listen to this and watch this. It's clip number one. This is how he began his press conference the day that we learned of this tragedy. Clip one, go. My name is Joe Biden. <laughs> I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. I think I'm kidding. Guys, that made me sick in my stomach. I'm not going to offer any hyperbolic statements. It's the worst thing I ever saw, things of that nature. But I'm saying when you have, thinking about the pastor, one of the children that were killed, a nine-year-old baby girl was his daughter. Man is broken. And Mr. Biden comes out cracking jokes about chocolate chip ice cream and all of these reporters <laughs> yucking it up. 
Yucking it up. Yucking it up. You think you're going to have broad condemnation of that? When I say broad, I mean not just uh, partisan condemnation. You know, people are, are terms of, you know, a partisan divide. You're going to have some conservatives that make noise about it, but you think you're going to have other people who are not conservative? I mean, you know, guys, I'm, 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 I'm so sick and tired. I'm so sick and tired of everything being made political. And I'll tell you, we can't. You can't get blood from a turnip. We cannot expect expect those who do not know the know the Lord to understand what the true solution is to this. And if if you're waiting for someone else to introduce the solution to the conversation, I want to just gently encourage you to stop waiting. To stop waiting. Souls hang in the balance, man. Our nation needs an outpouring of the Spirit of God from sea to shining sea. From sea to shining sea. And it's the people of God to whom he's entrusted the gospel. That's one of the most stirring commentaries I've heard from AFA's founder, Brother Don Wildman. He was expressing awe at the fact that the Messiah would entrust his gospel to ordinary people, ordinary dudes, ordinary cats. Guys, if you're listening to me, you don't have to be, you know, Bishop, doctor, professor, so-and-so. The Lord intentionally called ordinary guys. He lets us see Peter's flaws. He lets us see, you know, Peter's former prejudice. He lets us see uh, Paul's religious zealotry. Having a zeal but not according to knowledge. He lets us see, you know, Matthew being a former you know, perceived traitor to the Hebrew people by working for the Romans. He lets us see all of this. And not just in the apostles, all throughout biblical history. He lets us see Gideon, who is a coward when God calls him. But when God calls him, he doesn't identify him based upon his present circumstance. He calls him into the destiny that he has for him. Though you're threshing wheat behind a wine press, I see a mighty man of valor. The utilization of the term valor is not merely to say you have courage in a general sense, but it's specifically courage in the face of battle. When the bullets are flying, you will have courage then. We can go on and on. David and his, his flaws. Abraham. We get to witness God making a man into a man of God. He, and he shows up on the scene. This dude is lying. Yet we see the Lord making him the, a father of the faith. My, my very simple point, indirect point, is we need every joint to supply. May our Lord stir you if you're listening to this program to see how he will require you to respond to the urgency of the moment. 
The beauty of the Lord's body is that we not, we're not all called to be identical to one another. Every joint has its role to play. And as we all put all hands on deck, God, by his sovereign grace, will reel in a harvest for his glory. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith, family.